Amen. In 2 Corinthians 5, the scripture tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. When we were unrighteous, when we had no claim on heaven, when we had no reason for him to love him, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He made a way when there was no way. God is always working. God is always drawing people to himself. God is always moving in our midst. God reminded me this week that even when I can be faithless, he's faithful. He's doing his work. Um, today, we're going to actually wrap up our series on the parables. And I got to be honest, God has been speaking to me and us. He just doesn't seem to let us go. He keeps stirring our hearts. He keeps moving. He keeps challenging us to be more like his son because that is his calling upon us to be like Jesus. So today we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to speak to our hearts because I think God's got something to challenge us. And honestly, I, there's part of this that makes me uncomfortable, and that's probably good because God's going to do something in our midst. He wants to bring about change in our nation, change in this world, and change in our hearts. So let's be open. Let's ask God to convict. Let's ask the Lord to speak. Lord, you're a way maker. We, we, we sing it. We, we know your son said that you were always at work. That's why he was at work. And we know that your spirit is in this place, moving in our hearts. We know that you are calling us into a deeper uh, knowledge of you, a deeper walk with you, and to be conformed to the image of your son, to think like he thinks, to act like he acts. And all of the voices in the world, would you silence them that your son might be heard this morning? our midst, in our hearts, change us. Let us be like him. So Father, we open our hearts and our lives to you today and ask you to speak your words and no one else's. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the Messiah King. Amen. Well, today we're doing probably one of the most familiar parables in the world. And it's one that we have laws that are named after this parable. We have a hospital down the street named after this parable. It's the Good Samaritan. Oh, okay, I got that one. Yeah, I heard that one. Okay, you get ready. I think God's something, got something to say to you, even in this most familiar parable. It says this in Luke chapter 10, um, uh, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up. <clears throat> right there, stood up. Woo Jesus over here. <laughs> stood up, and he said, teacher, now, this is the expert in law. He's the one used to be called a teacher. Teacher, I've got a question. Whoop. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Is this sincere? Is this a challenge? Whatever it is, it's the most important question. How do I have a relationship with God? How do I have eternal life? This is the big one. Jesus, what do you got to say about this? And Jesus, knowing who the man was, Jesus, knowing that this is supposedly an expert in the law, Jesus, knowing that God's word is always speaking, that God's word is always at work in our lives, if we'll let it, if we'll let it, said, what's written in the law? 
You know, the books of Moses. What are written in the prophets, the scriptures? What's written there? You're an expert in the law. You've read it. What do you see? How do you read it? Verse 27. Well, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Now, this is familiar. This test comes in the other Gospels, especially in Matthew and in Mark. And in those passages, uh, teachers of the law are testing Jesus. And they say, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. These are actually nothing new. These are actually quotations from the Old Testament, one from Deuteronomy chapter 6, one uh, from Leviticus. And here, Jesus is just referring to passages they know. In fact, there is some evidence, though it's not sure whether Christians went back and sort of edited later, but there's some Jewish evidence that these scriptures were tied together um, even in some Jewish thought. So this may not be all that new. Moreover, <laughs> The love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That was spoken by a good, faithful Jewish person every morning when you wake up and every morning, before, every night before you go to sleep. You're, you're, you're uh, putting parenthetical ideas that surround your day throughout my day. My whole day is to love the Lord your God with all, to love the Lord with everything I've got. That's supposed to be my first thought. That should be my last thought. Did I do it today? Am I gonna do it tomorrow? What is my day about? It's about loving the Lord your God. This is nothing new. This wasn't, oh wow, Jesus put it all together. Well, I, I, yes, but God's word had been speaking all this time. Everybody should have already put it together. And guys, let's face facts. We sang it this morning. It's all about the love. That, that, that's what Christianity is so central. We heard in the call to worship today from 1 John chapter 4. I mean, God is love. If, if you don't love, you don't know God. That is so central. It's all about love one another. Jesus says it in John 15. At that last supper, we're gonna begin a series uh, next week on March to the Cross, where we look at the events leading up to, to the cross, leading up to Jesus' sacrifice. We're gonna be looking at this next week, and Jesus says this in John 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That sacrificial love, that, 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 that incredible, consistent, faithful, never-ending love, that love that puts others first, because he says in verse 13, because greater love has no one than this, than to lay down their life for their friends. The Apostle Paul echoes Jesus' words here. We sacrifice, we give, we love. In fact, in Ephesians chapter five, the Apostle Paul says it that way. Be imitators of God or follow God's example as dearly loved children. Did you catch that? Don't miss that. Don't miss that. You are a dearly loved child of God. God sent his son to die for you. You belong to him. His love never ends. So as that dearly loved child, that's not in question. That, that's not debatable. You are the dearly loved child. So now walk in the way of love. Live a life of love. In the same way, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's all about the love. You love this week? 
I did, you know, give myself a B plus. You know, all right? It's about the love. I know it's supposed to all be about the love, but so often in my life, it's all about the excuses. You know what I'm talking about? The reasons that kind of lock away my love that I'm supposed to be overflowing with in Christ Jesus. It's all about the reasons that I don't quite have to do it. All about the reasons why I don't quite have to quite extend that love that Christ has shown me. All those places where, well, <clears throat> I'm sure someone else, God, has got to make that sacrifice. I'm sure, well, I, haven't I sacrificed? It can be all about the excuses, and it was for this expert in the law. Because the next thing he says is this. Okay, I've answered correctly, but let me just make sure I clarify this, Jesus, because I want to make sure that I meet the minimum requirements. I'm not trying to meet the maximum. I want to meet the minimum requirements. I get this quite often. What, now, what does it take to get an A? Or sadly, sometimes, what does it take to get a D? <laughs> What's it going to take? Okay, look at verse 29. Uh, the teacher of the law said to Jesus, he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to say, what is my minimum requirement here? Who is my neighbor? Who counts as the one that I should show this love to? Who is my, I, gotta, I know I'm supposed to love God. That's fine, I can do that in my heart. I love God all the time, it's just kind of there. But loving my neighbor, who qualifies? Who counts? Now, for the people of that time period, the, most of the Jewish people, they saw that as their fellow Jewish person. It wasn't just their neighbor down the street. It wasn't just, but any sort of person that was part of the Israel, the part of Judea, part of that community of faith, they saw that. But not everybody did. The Pharisees, they were a little more strict in their religious teachings. And the Essenes, that was a group we don't hear a whole lot about, but the Essenes were the extreme. They were the ones that really saw them as, themselves as righteous, and they thought society had gotten so corrupt that the religious teachers had gotten corrupt. They, they were kind of like, yeah, we kind of, maybe even kind of like Jesus a little bit because Jesus was taking on the religious leaders. The Essenes withdrew by themselves. They hung out in little compounds and communities out in the desert. They were like, ah, oh, because God's going to zap all you people, and we're going to hang out over here because we're the righteous ones. And for often the Essenes and the, uh, the Pharisees and often the Essenes, the Essenes explicitly said, the children of the light, that's us. Part of the people in our group, we're the children of the light. They're your neighbors. Everybody else, they're the foreigners. They're the strangers to you. They're the outsiders. They're the ones that, well, you got to love God, of course. But when it says love your neighbor, that means us, not them. Ooh, you feel that temptation to see what's going on? When the teacher of the law here asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? He's wanting Jesus to define this. Is it just the other Pharisees? Is it just the other experts in the law? Is it just us who are Essenes, perhaps? Is it just us who are the Jewish people? It's certainly not those Roman guys that are occupying our land. It's certainly not those, you know, Samaritan guys up there up the street. It certainly isn't the people in the next town over. It certainly isn't the people all around the world. I don't have a responsibility for people that live on another continent. Surely it's not them. Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's seeking to justify himself. He's seeking to create a, a, a place where he has this excuse, where he doesn't have to show love. What are your excuses? What are your excuses? 
In response, Jesus begins to share this parable. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. Then they went away, leaving him half dead. But a priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. The man's injured. He might be dead. There might be robbers lurking around. I'm just going to keep on moving. So too a Levite, one of these ones who helped the priests, one of these ones who assisted in the worship of the God, basically the ones who were on the praise band, praise band members, worship team members, the worship leaders, the praise band, a Levite, when he came to that same place, well, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. What was going on with these religious leaders? These ones who knew God's law to love your neighbor, what was going through their minds? Now, there's a lot of speculation, right? Some point out the fact that the priests especially were not allowed to touch like a dead person, especially when they were going on their job to be priests. Um, That that would make them unclean, that would make them unfit for service. In Leviticus 21.1, it says that. Moses says, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die. It could have been like, hey, if I help this guy, he might be dead already, he might soon be dead, all of a sudden, I'm not able to do my very important religious duties. It might have been fear. The robbers might have been still lurking around. It could have been a whole host of reasons. Maybe they were in a hurry to get to the temple. Maybe they were in a hurry to get home. Maybe they had responsibilities. Maybe their child's birthday or something. They got to get somewhere. They got to do something else. And these religious leaders, for whatever reason, I think it's important that this fictional story, this parable, Jesus doesn't tell us why. Because we all come up with our excuses. This makes me uncomfortable. It's the priest who skipped the, went on the other side. It's the Levite who went on the other side. Surely not us. Surely not me as a Christian pastor. Surely. Okay. <clears throat> as I was driving off in a hurry to get to church, as you can imagine, Sunday mornings are a bit busy for me. That's not your best time to call your pastor, okay, with a need... Just, just letting you know. I mean, you can if there's a big need, but you know. I saw out my rearview mirror as I'm heading down my street quickly. The lights on my neighbor's truck are on. You know, just the parking lights. Probably there all night. It's just the parking lot. That doesn't take a lot of power, right? Probably not going to drain the battery completely. He's a good guy. He can fix it. I got to get to church. I've got responsibilities to the people. I got to be ready to preach. I got to be ready to teach. I got copies to make that I didn't make earlier in the week. I got things to do. I got important stuff. I got to have the children's sermon ready, the kids. Didn't Jesus want the kids to come? I got a, and it's already eight something in the morning. He's probably not going to want me to knock on the door that early. 
he'd probably rather that his battery go dead. You see how this works out? Can you imagine that it was this morning? Why is that this morning? <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for not letting me be even more of a hypocrite than I so often am. Right? I mean, God calls us to not be these guys who just go down the street. God calls us to face our excuses and say, you know what? Stop. See the need. Meet the need. We can't meet every need. I, I get all of that. And I, I know we got to have wise love. We've taught on that, 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 that God helped me know what I'm supposed to do. But can't you stop and knock on your neighbor's door? Literally your neighbor. Not even like someone around the world. Literally the neighbor. And say, hey, your lights are left on. How often we find excuses not to help, not to stop, not to say something. So what are your typical excuses, right? Is it you're busy? I don't have enough time to, to, to deal with this situation. I don't have a, a, an ability to help. Maybe it's the expense of it. Haven't I already kind of given my full amount on my charitable giving this year um, for my tax benefit or even a little bit extra that I'm not even going to count? Haven't I given enough? Haven't, have I served enough? What if there's something that might be dangerous, that, that might be un, unsafe for me? Do I really need to, to call someone, help someone, stop to make sure they're okay? Well, what about just the importance of other things? There are just other things that, that are also significant. We often make excuses why we don't show love. You all know that this seems to be the main point of the parable, right? It's kind of convicting, right? It kind of pushes us, right? Can I give you one more that might not be your, your first thought on your excuses? But I think it's at the heart of what's going on in this parable. Racism. Wait, what? Wait, what? Look what Jesus says. The priest went by, the Levite went by, but a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. You can't miss this. See, we miss it. We miss the Jesus' emphasis here. We miss it because we don't read this in the original Greek. In the original Greek, the word is placed in a position where it shows up and it's like, but a Samaritan. It is emphasized. It is highlighted. But a Samaritan. It is so shocking to the people who were here first hearing Jesus' words. They're like, a what? Uh, unmentionable? A Samaritan? Wait, as he traveled, he came to the man and he saw him and he took pity? But a Samaritan? We kind of move on by. You know, the Good Samaritan. We have Good Samaritan laws. We have Good Samaritan hospitals. You can be a Good Samaritan. We can all be Good Samaritans. Yay. When you heard the word Samaritan for Jesus' audience, it was them. That group. The ones that are untouchable. Okay. There's got to be some context here. Who were the Samaritans? Who were the Samaritans? Well, there are people that sort of lived in, in the region between the northern part of where the Jews typically lived in Galilee and the southern part where the Jewish nation lived in Judea. They lived right in the middle. And for a typical Jewish people, when they went for all the feast days and the holidays, they would go around the Samaritan territory so they didn't have to interact with the Samaritans. And guess what? The Samaritans liked it that way. Now, if you've been around church for a while and you see a map like this, you're like, oh, that kind of looks like, kind of, well, there's only 
five or so things, but it kind of reminds me of Israel and where the 12 tribes were. Well, absolutely, that's right. You see, you got to remember your history here, right? There was this united kingdom under Saul and King David and King Solomon, but when Rehoboam came to power, right? When Rehoboam became king after Solomon, the, the northern ten tribes rejected him and rejected his claim on the king. Now, the, there's reasons, but they rejected his claim on king as king, and they rebelled. In fact, First Kings says, and they, the northern tribes, the kingdom of Israel, has been in rebellion against King David's line ever since. They were seen as the rebels, the ones that weren't obeying God's law, the ones who wouldn't be under the true kingship, the kingship of the line of David. They're the rebels. But then in 722 BC, the Assyrians come into town. They roll into town. They take over the capital city of Samaria. They export all of the people of the leading city. They take out all of the people with wealth and influence. They leave the poorest around, but they take out all of the people who had influence and power. They took out most of the, 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 king, the nation of Israel of the ten tribes. They export them into all regions of the Assyrian Empire and import people from all over the regions of the Assyria Empire. What were they doing? They were keeping people off balance. They were keeping people sort of moving around. You couldn't ever like lead a rebellion if you're all scattered out. You don't even all speak the same language. You're just trying to survive again. It was a way of control. It was a way of asserting dominance over the people. And so here, this Assyrian empire had scattered the, the tribes of Israel. And we don't hear from them again, except in the fact that the people who moved into town intermarried with the Israelites who were still living there. They ended up having to worship the God of, of Israel because God sent some lions and they said, oh, we gotta have priests that tell us how to worship this God. So they sort of worshiped Yahweh. They knew about God. They halfway kept some of the laws, but they didn't keep them all the ways. And these people who had rebelled against David's lineage, who rebelled against the official king, these rebels had now become the half-breed the half-Jewish, the quasi-Israelites, the sort of people who worship the same God as us, but not really. They became the other. And later, when Judah themselves go into exile in the Babylonian Empire and are allowed to return during the Persian Empire and wanted to rebuild the temple, reestablish the worship of God, re uh, come back to a purity of knowing God, and the Samaritans who also worshiped God wanted to help rebuild the temple? Oh, the Jewish people were not having that. No, 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 no. You're rebels, you're half-breeds, and you're not having any part of our temple and our place of worship. So the Samaritans built their own temple. It was later destroyed when the Jewish people came to power and won their independence uh, from the Greeks. Uh, the Jewish people, they destroyed the Samaritan temple. So by the time Jesus is, is walking around, there's a lot of animosity. You're rebels, you're half-breeds. We even destroyed your temple because we wouldn't let you build this one. The Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews despised the Samaritans. When Jesus says, but a Samaritan, everybody's ears were like, what? 
They, they were probably expecting something, but a Samaritan beat the guy when he was down. <laughs> he, 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 he chopped him up for parts. I don't know. It was awful. Some evil. What were the Samaritans who probably fed him to their children? It was awful. The Samaritans, the boogeyman, the, 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 the awful other when Jesus said, but the Samaritan, it was shocking. It put everybody on edge. And then he goes on to say the Samaritan was the one who took pity. We don't see it, but this parable directly confronts the racism of the day. It was pronounced in the early church as the church was just getting started, as the church of Jesus Christ was empowered by the Holy Spirit and begins to spread across the world. All of a sudden, that insidious sickness, that cancer of racism begins to move in their hearts, and it already was facing and became that challenge of the early church. The biggest issue, I think, that they faced that could have derailed the gospel of God. Now, I've got to be honest, nothing's going to de derail the gospel of God because the power of the Holy Spirit, the power power of our risen Christ, the kingdom's going to go forward. But this was the first big challenge. Look what happens. It says in Acts chapter 10, when Paul, when God told Peter to go to a Roman, a Gentile, an oppressor of the Jewish people, to go to this Roman soldier and share the gospel, he couldn't believe it. God gave him dreams to say, look, do not call him unclean. He is part of the people of God. Peter goes, he preaches the gospel to this Roman soldier and his whole family, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the, on the Romans. It's poured out on these Gentiles. They have became believers. And then Luke, in this history called the book of Acts, Luke says this, the circumcised believers. What? what? <clears throat> if you know what circumcision is, it's not how you label somebody. You know what I'm saying? You got the rich guy, or you, you, you got the, you know, you got the doctor. The, you call them by their employee. You talk about their socioeconomic status. You might even talk about, oh, oh, with a racial, oh, oh, this guy, this guy. The circumcised? How is that a group? The Jewish people were circumcised. That was part of their marker. But to call themselves the circumcised believers, Luke's making a point because they didn't want anything to do with the uncircumcised. They wouldn't even eat in their home. And now the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. It says the circumcisers who had come, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Don't miss that. Luke's making a point. Even on them. Well, golly gee. I mean, God really is gracious if you let a Gentile have the Holy Spirit too. I mean, who would ever? Maybe these are special Gentiles, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, this is just not something that's done here. The Holy Spirit was for us. We're the, we're the people. We're the chosen ones. In Galatians chapter 2, we see this record of, of uh, Peter coming up to Antioch one of the places where the good news of Jesus went to all the different nationalities and all the different places and all the people were being like filled with the Holy Spirit and, and there was just great numbers of Gentiles coming to Jesus and they sent out the first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, to go and who mostly reached out to Gentiles and Peter shows up. Look what it says in Galatians chapter two. It says, when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Did you catch that? Peter, 
Jesus' right-hand man. And Paul, this famous apostle, this famous missionary who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, maybe 14, 13 books of the New Testament. They're having it out in front of everybody. Paul says, I opposed him to his face. He stood condemned. He was clearly in the wrong. Let's find out why. Look at the next verse, verse 12. Before certain men came from James, which James is this? Probably James, Jesus' half-brother. What? Jesus' brother sent Jesus' right-hand man with some other dudes that came with him. Some of these guys who were all insistent about circumcision and Jewishness and we need to, this, this good Messiah is just for the Jewish people. They came and Peter, it says, used to eat with the Gentiles. Gentiles is a term for anyone who is non-Jewish. Jew, Peter used to eat with everybody. Didn't matter what race you were from. Peter used to eat, eat with them all. But when these guys, these Jewish guys arrived, he began to draw back, separate, go back into the old ways where, you know, Jews eat with Jews and the rest of you guys can have your meal over there. We don't eat the same food. You know, it, it's kind of offensive. We, we, it doesn't, it, it, God doesn't really like that. You, you can eat it, but it's, it's not really for us. They begin to draw back and separate themselves from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. People who might look down on you. You're associating with the wrong group. You're with the wrong crowd. You're with, seems like Jesus got labeled that way too, didn't he? Why are you eating with those tax collectors and sinners? And look at this. Verse 13. The other Jews, the Christian Jewish people, the other ones who were believers, the other Jews, joined Peter in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Barnabas, this missionary who went to Antioch, this Barnabas who led great numbers of non-Jewish people to faith in Christ, this Barnabas who was one of the first missionaries sent out throughout the Roman world who brought so many who argued that, no, it doesn't mean you don't come to Christ, you don't come to God through keeping the law. They don't have to follow the laws of Moses. Jesus is enough that he's died for all people. This same Barnabas, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament, was led astray you see it? That racism that's so insidious, that's so cancerous, that just spreads. It, it can just come, and it can come in such subtle little forms, and, it, and even become something that, that infects a whole congregation, that infects a whole Christianity. I mean, why on Sunday mornings are our churches so separate? Well, it's kind of music style. Well, it's tradition. Well, it's, let's call it what it is. It's It's racism. And it's been this separation that's happened in the past. And God has called us to be a witness to the nations that he has given his son to bring all people, all people into his kingdom. And if we can't show love to each other, if we allow these divisions to crop up, just as the early church was facing, how is the world going to see that, 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 that Jesus is alive, that he is alive and well, and that he is living in us, and that his love goes beyond our small little territories, our small little groupings that we've created. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is huge. When Jesus said, but a Samaritan, he put everybody's ears up and confronted a sickness that was within his own people. We're all his people, but within the Jewish people. And it's a sickness that is in us today. But a Samaritan. 
So let's learn some few things from the Samaritans. I got a few things. Before we do, look at Colossians chapter 3. Paul says it this way, because there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all, and he is in all. So let's learn some lessons from this Samaritan that Jesus is telling a story, and you better listen because I better listen. Here it goes. Number one, you better see and care. See and care for others. So often we're so consumed by our own lives, we're so consumed with our own business, we're so consumed with the world that we've made that we don't see, we don't care that other people have a struggle, that other people have a need, that other people's experiences require us to act. We need to see and we need to care. Look what the Samaritan did. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, he saw and he took pity. He cared that the other person's plight was different than his. The other person had a need that was severe. The other person had an urgency about what was going on, and he saw and he cared. He wasn't like, oh, moving on to my thing. Oh, bouncing my eyes off. Oh, like we do in the olden days when we actually watch TV with commercials and stuff. Um, <clears throat> that seems to have gone. But, but the old, and then you'd have these needs. Oh, here's a child. Here's, oh, for $13 a day, you can support. You know, and it, we would see these things. and be like, change the channel, change the you know, Quick flip to something else. I just don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. The Samaritan saw, and he took pity. Number two, you got to go, and you got to do something. You got to try to address the wounds. You got to go and address the wounds. What did the Samaritan do? Look at verse 34. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. Not took care of himself, not met his own needs, not made his own issues the issue. He took care of him. So often when we try to address racism, we will often try to say, yeah, but let me go ahead and do the talking here. (laughs) See, here's my experience from it. I shouldn't say it this way. I just want to say it to me. Shut up and listen. James says all of us need to be Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. God has blessed me in some really neat ways. And, and I remember um, at uh, Syracuse was my first real place. I grew up in a pretty white Texas. And, and at Syracuse, all of a sudden, our group was, was diverse. And, and we had students with different racial backgrounds. We had international students. We, we had different people who were involved. It was kind of very cool. And I think it really kind of felt like I understood things here now and, and kind of really began to understand some racial differences and God had taught me many things about this and, and now I was feeling very good. And as I came and moved here, my first experience, I, I was in charge of college ministry in the area and, and one of our places was Morgan State and I went over to help our Morgan State ministry there. And I was able to explain to some of the black students about how, you know, I've had these really good experiences and how <laughs> I'm saying, exactly, well, where, where was somebody tell me, Shut up, be quiet, you need to listen, be quick to listen. What do you, you think you know and you don't know? I don't know. I don't know. And let's say, when I say you need to go and address wounds, we're not going as the Savior. We're not going, oh, I'll fix the wounds. All I got is, here's what I got. If I can help with a need, if you can tell me, if you can help me understand, if you can help correct me, please be my teacher because I, I, I need to hear. And guys, this is hard, but it goes both ways. It goes from the majority groups, it goes from minority groups. We need to all seek to learn. 
we need to all be quick to hear. We need to all, because sometimes we start thinking, well, I, I, you know, it's really them, it's really. Learn from the Samaritan, and it's very clear. Jesus is teaching us from the Samaritan. Learn from the Samaritan. We need to know about their need. We need to know about him. We need to seek to serve him. How do we begin to do this? Part of it, and okay, this seems like a little shameless advertisement here, and maybe it is. Stay for Bible study. If you'll notice, we're a diverse congregation all of a sudden. Not all of a sudden, it's been over time, but it's been exciting to see. We have an opportunity just to hear, even perspectives on the scripture, perspectives of life. We have an opportunity to share. Let's do it together. Let's listen. Let's be the light. Let's be the city on the hill. Let's make sure we're looking for the needs of others and taking care of that other. Let's follow the Samaritan, not as the Savior, but as someone who is a servant. That's who the Samaritan is teaching me to be. Number three. I don't know what the price is, but you got to be ready to pay the price. There is going to be something that is going to be costly. There is going to be something that is going to cost you. There's going to be something that's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be a perspective you're not going to want to hear. There's going to be a, 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 a payment you're going to have to make that may not be easy. There may be something that feels like a reparation. I don't know how to do, to do all this. I don't have any clue. And don't ex hear me trying to figure out the political end of this because I have got nothing on that. But here I know on the spiritual end, here's what we do have. We need to be ready to give. God has called us to love. David says this about loving God. How dare I bring an offering to him that costs me nothing. Sometimes, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't offer a sacrifice to God that he wasn't going to pay for because, you know, the guy was saying, hey, well, you, I'll just give you the, all the stuff. I'll give you the land. I'll give you the, the, the stuff. David said, I won't give to the Lord something that will cost me nothing. <clears throat> I, I re-gift sometimes. <clears throat> I don't do it to Vicky ever. <laughs> she knows. She knows. You didn't buy this. You, 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 you didn't. She knows. It better not cost me nothing. <laughs> okay. Look at what the Samaritan did. He went to the man. He bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey. He was on a journey. He was far from home. I'm sure he would have liked to have ridden his own donkey. It was his donkey. He had earned the donkey. He had paid for the donkey. Maybe he raised the donkey. I don't know, but it was his donkey. But he walked and put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And what does it say in verse 35? The next day he took out two denarii, two days wages for this traveling, probably a businessman. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense. He gave him a blank check, whatever it costs, whatever it's going to do. Brothers and sisters, how are we going to address this sickness? It's got to be a little bit of whatever it takes. Whatever price we need to pay, let's be the city on the hill. Let's be the light of the world. And okay, I'll say it right here. It's not just racism. There may be other categories of people. Well, <clears throat> I don't like fill in the blank. The liberals, I don't like the conservatives, I don't like the independents, I don't like the Green Party or the Peace Party or the Communist Party, I don't like the Republicans, I don't like the whatever. Could you imagine and say, 
but a Republican or but a Democrat, but a Greenpeacer, I mean, whoever it might be, came and helped. We have our labels. Well, what about, well, that's far away. I don't need to worry about what's going on in Sudan. I don't have to worry about the Ukrainian. I don't have to worry. That's not, that's not my responsibility. We have to be ready to pay the price. Well, in verse 36, Jesus concludes his little message, and he says this. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man? Who was the neighbor? Do you realize that he totally flipped that question on the end? That the teacher of the law said, who is my neighbor? Define for me who I'm responsible for. And Jesus turns it around and says, who was neighborly? Who acted like a neighbor? He made it about us, not about them, not about whether they are worthy, not about whether they qualify, not about whether they deserve my help. He made it about me and said, hey, <laughs> how about you, buddy? Um, who are you? Are you filled with the love? Are you being Christ-like? Are you being the neighbor to whoever? Yeah. Jesus, I like Jesus, man. He does some good stuff. The expert in the law said, the expert in the law says, I guess the, the one who had mercy. He can't even say Samaritan. He can't even say well, the Samaritan. That would have been the easy way to say, right? The Samaritan. I, I, I guess that, 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 you know, that, the, the one you're talking about, that, that guy. Oh, how easy this stuff just takes hold. So Jesus just said this to the man. Go and do likewise. Can we be like the Samaritan? Are we going to be a church that as it fills up, fills up with all people? Socioeconomic differences, racial diversity, age diversity, priority diversity, political party diversity. I think so. I hope so. I pray so. I'm willing to pay the price. But here's the deal. The invitation is for all of us to come and follow Jesus. The invitation is for all of us to go and do likewise. And it begins with surrendering to Jesus as Savior. You see, if we don't have one king, if there's not one shepherd, if there's not one leader, and we're not all obedient to him, it doesn't work. So this morning, you might be one of those who has not yet said yes to Jesus. Maybe you're online, maybe you're here today, but you haven't said, Jesus, I'm yours. You haven't said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You haven't said, Jesus, I need for your death on the cross where you paid for the sins of humanity to count for me. Today is your day. Would you just say yes to Jesus? Maybe it's saying, I, I got to be here. This is my church. This is where I'm going to be. I'm part of this thing. I'm willing to, to, to be the city on the hill. I'm willing to be the people. I'm joining. I'm in. If either case is you today, you're welcome to come to the front. Uh, Pastor Barry, Pastor David, we'll be happy to talk to you about what it is to be a member here, what it is to follow Jesus. We're happy to do that. You can talk to us afterwards as well. Uh, we're call, the call is out. Would you come follow Jesus? Would you come follow Jesus with us? If this is where God is assigning you, you be here. Or maybe there's something else. Maybe it's just gotten you. You know that, yeah, it was me. I don't want to admit it, but it's me. There's an ism in there that I've rejected that group, whether it's race or political or whatever, and I just need Jesus to get me past that, that I would love like he loves. I would stop, I would see, and I would give my life. Living a life of love, I would go and do likewise.
You respond as the worship team comes and leads us. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for getting at the heart of problems. Thank you for, 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 for not letting us just kind of gloss on by. Thank you for not letting us off the hook, but calling us into a new life, a life of love, setting us free from our, our division, setting us free from, from hatreds, living in malice and envy, hating and hating one another. But your kindness and your love, you, you saved us from this. Save us from it now. So we might be your people in the power of your spirit. We pray this all in the name of Jesus.